Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody. If I haven't introduced myself yet, my name's uh, Clayton, and I'm a senior pastor here at Central, and I'm glad you guys are with us. I'm glad everybody that's online is, is hanging out with us today. Um, I'm excited about um, what we're going to be talking about today. I would like for you to uh, have an opportunity to get the notes. So you can scan the QR code anywhere. I'm here for the next uh, few minutes. I'm also excited because the holidays are coming. Anybody ready for that? Like ready that, I mean, Halloween's over. It's time to start thinking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. There is one um, street in our neighborhood that usually goes all out for, for Halloween. I mean, like it's a competition. They turn their yard into a graveyard and got like a 20-foot skeleton, all this crazy stuff. And for some reason this year, this entire street, they just like skipped Halloween and they started doing Christmas like mid-October. I mean, they're already in on it um, for Christmas. How many of y'all have already started decorating for Christmas? Anybody? Okay, some of y'all weirdos have already started doing that. Um, well, well, you know, the holidays are coming whether we're ready for them or not. And people always ask, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And I was thinking about this this year. And, you know, honestly, this year for me, what I want for Christmas is to not have to buy anything. I mean, anybody? Anybody? Anybody else? Okay. That would be, be good Christmas. Can we just, like, mutually agree that we're just going to high-five each other and go on, right? I don't know. I, w- I would like to do that because sometimes Christmas just stresses me out. It's thinking about the things I have to purchase and where's that money going to come from. I mean, there's some things in life that stress us out. Do you all remember the thing called COVID? Anybody remember that? That thing kind of happened. Um, I don't know if you missed it, but, uh, you know, 2020, COVID was crazy. It was the number one cause of stress. Well, today, it's not even in the, the top 10. It's not even close to the top 10. There's all this other stuff that's going on in our lives. Like, we're stressed out about politics. We're stressed out about crime. We're stressed out about the, the future of our, of our nation. But I would say that the number one thing that we're stressed out about is money. Because of inflation. Inflation is, is crazy. In fact, it is 20 to 25% more expensive just to live today than it was three years ago. I mean, goodness, you go to the grocery store. Do you all know that, that margarine is 54% more expensive right now? Anybody? Anybody know that? That's why you should just go with straight butter. Um, just a little plug there for butter. Man, you, man, it's expensive. Margarine is expensive. Don't even think about going on a vacation. Vacation, it's 35% more expensive now than it was three years ago. That stresses us out. For some reason, the only thing that is cheaper now than it was before COVID are TVs. TVs are 17% cheaper. I don't know why, but go out and get one, okay? Um, make, you're making a good deal, okay? It stresses us out. 90% of America says money is the number one source of stress. And over half of us, even in this room or, or listening right now, we are, we're stressed out about, about money. We're stressed out about just paying for, for basic things like food and shelter, And half of us have made just this month at least one difficult decision about our finances because we were lacking money. A couple weeks ago, I got to go to Uganda, and man, that place is crazy awesome. It's it's a totally different world, literally. I mean, it's like on the other side of the world. And and Ugandans, they just just live differently than we do. They have other issues going on that we don't have, and um, our issues aren't the same as, as theirs, but... But their life is, is totally different. I mean, the average Ugandan makes $50 a month. A month. What would your life look like if you only made $50 a month? 
Yet that's how they live. Somehow they manage and they, they survive on $50 a month and some of them even thrive on that. But, but they have their problems and, and we have our problems. And I was thinking about this. this. If we went over there and, and talked to the Ugandans, how would we describe our problems to the rest of the world? Because they look at us one way and think that we have everything. How would we describe the problems that we have to them? I was praying about that this week and just thinking through it. And, and I came up with this simple phrase that I think best describes us. It's that we're miserably happy people. Think about that. We're miserably happy people. What I mean by that is that, man, we have, we have so much, don't we? I mean, right now, the wealth sitting in this room is incredible. We have so much, and yet we struggle with money. In fact, we don't like to talk about it. I mean, it's, money's a private thing. You don't go to a party and, and uh, shake some guy's hand and say, uh, hey, Bob, um, what do you do for a living? And he's like, I'm a doctor. I'm like, hey, man, how much money do you make? Right? We don't do that. That's just, that's awkward. You don't ask that. No one asks about money. It's a private thing, and yet it affects everything. Couples fight over it all the time. In fact, you and your spouse have probably argued over money recently. It's one of the number one causes of divorce in America. It's a big stressor. It causes shame when we don't make enough, when we've spent too much, and we don't know how to manage it. It causes resentment when you see someone else have more than you have, and you're like, I want that. I want it bad. It causes fear in us because we don't know what the future is going to look like. There's instability. And all of those combine to, to keep the church from talking about money. Most churches don't talk about it. But we're going to talk about it, okay? We're going to talk about it. Because I don't want us to be miserably happy people. I want us to be joyful people. And in order to do that, we need to have the talk. Okay, we need to have the talk, not the birds and the bees talk, guys. We're not going to worry about that, okay? We're not going to have the birds and the bees talk. There's only one other talk that's probably more awkward than the birds and the bees, and it's talking about your money. Because the truth is, your money makes you miserable. I don't know if you're like me, but, but I've said a lot of these, these statements like, I've got a lot, but I'm just not happy. Or... Man, inflation is just, it's like eating my lunch. I mean, I don't, I don't know where the money goes. You know, it's just at the end of the month, it's just, it's just not there. And kids cost a fortune, amen? It's crazy. I mean, my family, I got, I got two teenagers over there, my wife's right there, and, and we, um, we go out to eat, and I, I've just decided I'm just not going to order anything for myself anymore. Anybody else like that? I'm just going to eat off other people's plates, and, and I, I'm the biggest person in my family, shocker, right? And, um, and, and, <laughs> and, and so I eat more than they do, but I'm like, I'm just not going to eat, because for just three people, it's like $70, $80 to eat. And I'm like, what happened? And we're at McDonald's. No, we're not McDonald's. Okay. Uh, like, I don't know. It's just like in a regular restaurant. It's just, it's crazy expensive. And you used to say this. You used to say, you know what? I just, I just can't afford that, that bigger house. Or I can't, I can't afford that nicer car. Now, we're like, I can't afford the house I'm in. 
I can't afford the car that I'm driving right now. I mean, like something's got to change. I mean, is there like a thing where free cars are out there where I could get one of those things and it runs? I mean, it's, it's tough. And so what happens is a lot of us, we go into debt just to survive. I mean, life is, is just insanely expensive. And we sit here right now, and I stand up here right now wondering, does God have anything to say about our money? Except I want it, right? A lot of people look at, at the church and be like, oh, God just wants your money, right? And they're going to come in here and we're going to talk about your money. Well, God does have a lot to say about your money. But it's something that he wants for you, not from you. And I believe over the next couple of weeks, he's going he's gonna to teach us some things to provide some freedom and some help. Whether you are deeply in debt, whether you're, you're just getting by, or whether you have more money than, than you know what to do with. And so today, if you have $5 in your checking account or you got $5 million in the bank, I want to let, I want to ask you to let Jesus challenge you with your finances. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, there's this incredible story, and we're going to witness Jesus challenging a rich young man. Now, when I used to read this, this scripture, I always looked at, I kind of looked from a position lower than this rich man, like looked up at him, like, man, yeah, it's a rich guy and, you know, rich people and all this kind of stuff. But the truth is, is that this scripture is talking about us. Like, we're equals with, with the rich man. And so this is one of the greatest stories and teachings in scripture for us today. And Jesus is going to challenge this man, and I pray that it's a challenge for us as well. So let's look at it. Mark chapter, chapter 10, um, we're going to start in, in verse 17. And here's what, here's what happens, okay? As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, um, a man came running up to him and knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. Now, let me stop here just a second because, man, that, that's a little verse that can kind of throw some people off. Um, well, I thought Jesus was God. Like, what is he saying here? Is he, is he not, saying he's not good? No, what, he, what he's saying is, is this man came to him and he said, hey, good teacher. He, taught, he called him like a rabbi, okay, from a, a human perspective. And, and Jesus is saying, look, look. Don't look to God. Don't look to, to people for your answers. Look to God for your answers. He's the only one that is good. You know, Jesus is saying he is God himself, and he's going to give an answer. Look what he, look what he says um, in the next verse, verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. Okay, so... This was only a portion of the Ten Commandments, okay? Everybody can count in this room. He didn't go through all ten. Well, in, in the Ten Commandments, you have one tablet, and then you have the second tablet. Well, this is Jesus quoting the second tablet. The first tablet was a list of commands but that dealt with you and God, okay, your relationship with God. And the second tablet was about talking about your relationship between you and other people, okay? You and others, he says, man, you've you got you to follow these things. And this guy goes on and says in verse 20, he says, Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. 
Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So what's really going on? Well, Jesus wasn't asking this guy to go sell everything and to become poor, then he could follow Jesus. Some people think this is what is going on right here, that the true act of Christianity is this vow of poverty. But the reality is, is that Scripture does not speak about that. And anytime you're looking at a certain part of Scripture and someone maybe says that online or you're thinking like maybe this is what it's saying, you also need to look at the rest of Scripture because it, it doesn't lie to itself. It doesn't contradict itself. And so you need to see what's really going on because throughout Scripture, there's a lot of rich people that are used by God who are following Jesus. I mean, think about like Joseph of, of Arimathea, okay? who donated his, he donated his tomb. He gave up something that was so precious to him and his family, an expensive thing for Jesus. I mean, it was a, his family tomb. Think about the money that was spent to carve that, that thing out, how much they had talked about and planned about and saved up for it. And they built this thing, and all of a sudden they had, he had an opportunity to gift that to Jesus. That's pretty crazy. You know, something I think about with that, that Joseph, he wasn't, um, generationally rich because his family didn't have a tomb until he showed up. He made money somehow or did something. He had a vineyard. All of a sudden, he might have been the first generation of, of someone in his family with wealth. And he says, you know what? I'm going to change my family tree by doing this and that. And all of a sudden, he builds this amazing tomb and then he gives it to Jesus. I think about the women in Jesus' life, the ones who followed him. While all the guys are out doing ministry, what were the women doing? They are making the money, right? They were making the money to provide food and shelter and clothing and then to meet the needs, the Bible says, of Jesus and, and, and the disciples. They were the, the breadwinners, right? They were the sugar mamas, okay, of, of, uh, of Jesus' ministry. They, they were a great asset to the gospel, they were used by God. I think about Joseph, another guy named Joseph in Acts chapter 4. This guy sold land to, to fund the apostles' work because it was expensive for the apostles to, to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel to Greece. Like, and that's expensive, you're right. And this guy, um, evidently he had some land. He was a wealthy guy, and he sold it so that they could go and do that. You know what he was? He was a venture capitalist, you know? He said, you know what, I've got this asset, and I, I want to invest it in something that I believe is going to have a, a great return. Think about Lydia, who opened up her house for the very first church in all of Europe, who had a lot, and she was selfless with that to provide for the gospel to go forth. You know, one of the, the, the greatest examples, I think, is Luke. Luke, the Bible says, was a doctor, and yet evidently, he kind of stopped doing that so that he could do something else. It's almost like Luke made enough money so that he could retire from being like a full-time doctor, and then he could go and, and provide for, for, uh, for Paul, and he could go and, and travel and, and have all uh, these interviews with eyewitnesses so that he could write the gospel that we have today. It's pretty incredible. Luke used his previous job to be able to pay for what God had called him to do. You see, Jesus wasn't calling this man to poverty. He was calling this man to unrivaled allegiance to God. 
Because that's not what was going on in his life. This man had another God, and it was his money. I think there's a lesson here for us, and it's this question I'm going to put up on the screen here. And it's this, that when you're God, you're lowercase God, okay? Whatever the thing that, that you put your hope and future in, okay? When your God doesn't satisfy, do you know what you become? You become stressed out, you become burned out, and you become worried out, okay? It's not great. English right there, but whatever, okay? Like, makes sense, right? Like, when you put your, your faith in something other than God, you know what's going to happen? You are going to be miserable eventually. It's not going to satisfy you. And it's going to stress you out. It's going to burn you out, and you're going to be worried. Holly and I got married at a young age. I was, I was 20 years old when we got married. I mean, we went on a honeymoon. They wouldn't even... Um, rent me the, the car. Like, Holly had to rent the car. I was so young. Like, true story. Um, she drove, and I sat in the back. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I wish I was joking, okay? Uh, yeah. And, and I, it, it, was, it was tough. I mean, life was, was tough for us. We were college students, uh, waiting tables. Um, we had to get assistance to get by from our family and even from the government. I mean, it was, it was tough. And I fast forward 20 years to today, and we have more than we've ever had. And I'll just be honest with you guys, like total transparency right now, I'm more worried about our finances than I ever have. Like, man, I wish I could go back when life was simpler. And we have more than we've ever had, and I'm just, I'm just freaking out about it. Like, I don't know what we're going to do. It's tough. And I don't know if I'm just preaching myself, I'm the only one, or if some people in this room are going, you know what, I feel the same way. Why is it that way? Like the more money we make, the more miserable we end up being. Why is it that way? I think it's because our culture teaches us to pursue it. It says to pursue more money, to pursue more possessions, to pursue more happiness in those things through our big houses and our big bank accounts. And that never satisfies. It stresses us out, it burns us out, and it worries us out. There has to be something better. And the answer is in this story. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going to go on and say, you know what? It's more difficult, it's, it's almost impossible for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Because their allegiance Talk, talk, not talking about being rich and being a follower of Jesus. He's talking about someone whose who's God is their stuff and is their money and their possessions. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? What he's saying is it's pretty much impossible. And then he goes on and says, but you know what? There is a chance, and the chance is with God. All things are possible through God. He tells that to his disciples, and Peter stands up. I love Peter. He's just so honest. Man, he's like our advocate. And he stands up and he says something in verse 28. Y'all look at it with me. He says this. And Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. I think what Peter is saying is, he's saying, man, Jesus, we've done all of that. All those, those commandments, we've done all those things, we've given up everything. When you said to follow us, we literally dropped our nets and we started following you, gave up our income. There was just a complete following of you. 
And I think he wasn't really making a statement. I think he is asking a question with emotion. I think the question, what he's saying is saying, but will you take care of us? He's like, hey, we've done all those things. Like we put ourselves out there. We're on the, the edge of the cliff. Will you take care of us? And I think that is our deepest question to God is that, will you take care of me? God, will you take care of me? It's the reason we, we run to relationships because we don't fully, fully trust God. And so we want to find fulfillment in somebody else. It's the reason we give in to addictions because we don't think that, that God can really truly satisfy us. And it's why that a lot of times we side hustle God. You know what a side hustle is? Side hustle is, is when you're like, I don't make enough here. I need to make a little bit extra to make ends meet. And what you're saying is, God, you're not truly satisfying me, so I'm going to go do this other thing on the side. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to do my thing, but you know what? I'm also going to, to have this side game that I'm playing. And we're asking, God, do you, will you come through? Will you be there for me? Will you take care of me when it comes to my, my salvation? Like, am I really going to, to, to not try to be a good person and make my way to heaven? Am I really going to take a step back and say, okay, God, I'm trusting you fully. I'm going to live for you. And when I die, I'm trusting you that I'm going to make it into heaven. What we're saying is, God, will you take care of that? Will you, God, will you, will you take care of my, my health? Will you take care of my family? Will you take care of my happiness and my future? Will you take care of my, my finances? And the truth is, before we really trust God with our money, we want to know that he will, he will deliver, right? We want to know that he will come through. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus says, okay, I understand what you're really asking, Peter. And here's what he says in the very next verse. Look at it. He says this. Yes. <laughs> Jesus says, yes, I will. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and property. Along with persecution, like he just kind of throws that in there. It's interesting. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Here's what Jesus is saying. Fully following Jesus is no guarantee of protection. But there is a guarantee. And what he just guaranteed his followers and what he guarantees us when we fully trust in him is this, a reward. Look at the reward of all those things you're going to get back a hundred times. He promises a reward and a relationship. Jesus is saying in this story, he's saying, disciples, I've got you. And for us, he's saying, I've got you. But something has to change in our lives, in my life, in your life, where money isn't our, our side God. Jesus is God. Where your security is not in your bank account, it's in him. Now, when that happens, that's a pretty happy story, right? When we can fully trust Jesus, amen, we're, we're just living for him every day, that's a great story. But this story about this rich man is not a happy story. It's actually quite sad. Think about what could have been in this guy's life. 
Jesus, Jesus says, follow me. Does that sound familiar? Who else did he say that to? The disciples, right? And the, the other followers said, follow me. And this guy looked at Jesus and said, Mm-mm. nope. I may be projecting here a little bit, but this man could have been number 13. He could have been, one, he could have been the 13th disciple. And think about the opportunities that could have happened. The lives that could have been changed. The ministry that could happen using this guy's finances. Think about his life that could have changed. But he said no. He said no to that. Because he couldn't say no to his God. Which was his money. Following Jesus was too risky for him. Like what idiot would pass up an invitation to follow Jesus? I mean, if Jesus looked in your eyes and said, come follow me. You're like, man, I'm, I'm on it. Let's go. Right? We mock this guy, we judge him, but sometimes we're that idiot, right? We're side hustling God. Saying, God, I'm trusting you, and yet I'm really trusting myself. You see, this guy was not deciding to not trust Jesus with his money. He's also saying, I'm not going to trust you with anything. I think this is a great kind of final statement for us to think about, to kind of wrap our minds around this. This is really important. And it's this. If you're not trusting Jesus with your money, are you really trusting Jesus? Let me give you a test that can answer this for you. It's with this question. Are you really satisfied in God or in his gifts? Well, we love the gifts, don't we? Gimme, 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 right? Like we, we love the gifts. Let me, let me put this picture up on the screen. This is a hut in Uganda. This is how most people in Uganda live, okay, out, out in the outside of the cities. Handmade hut, no electricity. No running water. About 10 people live here. I want to think about your home and the things you have. Let's say with no fault of your own, you lost everything. And within a year's time, you found yourself living here with your family. Would you and God be good? Would y'all be okay? In your relationship, would you just be high-fiving God saying, I love you so much. Thank you for everything you've done for me, right? You see, our problem is we pray too often for more of his blessings. And we spend less time praying for more of him. We, we, we seek his hand instead of seeking his face. Saying, God, I, I, I want this. I, I need this. Instead of saying, God, all I need is you. All I want is you. So no, no matter where you are with, with, your, with your money, you need, to, you need to hear one other thing. And it's a beautiful thing in this story. If you have your Bible, look at, back at verse 21. There, there's this, this moment that before Jesus says, hey, follow me and give up everything, 
and give up your God, your money. Before he does that, look what happens in verse 21. The Bible says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I was looking at this with our staff earlier this week, and we just kind of paused here and realized, this is like the most important part of the whole story. And we read over it. Man, this is huge. Here's what's happening here. Jesus loved him before the request. Before he said, give up everything. Before he said, follow me. He said, I love you. It's the same thing for you. A lot of us look at our relationship with God and say, God will only love me if I fully devote myself to him or I give up everything to follow him. And that's not the way it works. He loves us first. He loves us first. He loves you first. In my life, I need to hear that. Like Right now, in my life, I need to know God loves me first. No matter my junk, no matter the times where I side hustle and I'm trying to, to really make it on my own and I don't really truly trust him with everything, man, I need to know that he loves me. And this, this, this man, he gets, to, he gets to have Jesus face to face and Jesus stares at him. Jesus gazes into this guy's eyes and had this genuine love for him. And what did this guy do? He looked at Jesus, and he looked down, and he walked away. He broke his gaze with Jesus. So here's my challenge to us this week. There's like, hey, what, what can I do? What, how can I change? How can I be different? Here's a challenge to you this week. Don't break the gaze. Because God is looking at you right now. He's staring at you and saying, will you truly follow me? I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to just spend some time this week, to have some intentional time. Maybe just, maybe just three times this week for five minutes. Have some intentional time of praying and asking God about your finances. Just talk to him about it. And ask him this, what am I fully trusting you with? Am I really doing that? And see what he reveals to your heart. You know, in fact, you might be here this morning and say, you know what, I've never really trusted him with anything. Today might be an opportunity for you to say, you know what, for the very first time, I want to trust Jesus. I'm not talking about my finances. I'm going to talk about my salvation. My future, eternity. Jesus says, trust me. I've done all the work. I died on the cross to save you from your sins. And we're called to respond to him. And I want to give you an opportunity here in just a second to do that. For a lot of us in this room, we say, hey, I've done that. But the question is, are you still truly trusting him with everything? Do you need to pray to him and have a conversation this week about that? In fact, here's what I'd like to do. I want to, I want to pray for you. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Everybody, y'all go ahead and stand up to your feet. We're going to end this service this way by, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. Let's go to the Lord real quick. God, I love you. I thank you for every person in this room, everyone that's watching online. I thank you, God, that, that we have an opportunity to come before you and pray. Thank you for the blood of Jesus 
I pray for anyone in this room who has never accepted that gift of salvation, that today might be the day of salvation for them. They would say yes to Jesus for the very first time. I pray for all of us in this room who are believers. Are we saying yes to you with our finances? What are we hiding? What are we trying to do on our own? What are we trusting in? God, I pray that we can trust in you and not our own efforts. I pray, God, that you would truly satisfy us. Convict us if we're off. If we're leaning too much on our money rather than on you for happiness, for fulfillment, for hope. God, help us to to not break the gaze with you. Help us, God, to truly continue to look at you no matter what this world tells us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we wanna just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, If you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I wanna give my life to Jesus. And I I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, We want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, And that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, Here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.